Blog Talk Radio. Podcast. I am Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins Wagner. Nick, how are your appendages? <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of funny, Josh. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been lucky enough to talk to some young men trying to make it into the NFL. And to even be considered to, uh, for an NFL team, you've got to be an elite, elite athlete. On the other end of the spectrum lies myself. I was jogging home from work and uh, tripped and broke my wrist. Stone cold sober. Can't even blame it on beer. So <laughs> I'm recovering from that. We're doing well. How are you? All right. Uh, you got any? Uh, you got any painkillers that we should know about that we need to report to the guys at DFW? You know, that, you know, it's a possible uh, steroid or anything or. Uh, well, I don't know the ingredients in salon paws, but I've been using those and ibuprofen. Hopefully, that's all legal. <laughs> Okay. Um, well, we have a great show in store for you today. Uh, current NFL free agent Dante Rump is going to stop by, and uh, also one of our favorite people in the whole wide uh, football world is stopping by. Her name is Sonia Greenfield. She's a Detroit Lions fan reporter from NFL Female. Um, she's just one heck of a lady, and we are happy to have her on as we go deep into the NFC South today. Um, I do want, want to make sure everybody checks out uh, what we've got going on at DFW. Um, you know, we're breaking down many of the top rookies uh, from the class of 2015. We'll give you insight in their potential long-term fantasy value. Uh, obviously, a lot of that is going to be, you know, dependent on where they go in the draft. But I think there's, you know, a handful of very special players on both sides of the ball. So we uh, we want to give you information beforehand, and then we'll you know we're going to get you afterwards, too, and kind of break down where we see their position with that. Uh, complete team recaps, all the major coaching changes, free agents, reviews and previews, all the relevant players. Uh, we've got a film cut-up room of all the top prospects as well. Make sure you check that out. Uh, great stuff there. Our rankings are updated monthly, so we still have the March rankings up. Uh, obviously, things are going to change drastically probably with the free agents, but uh Make sure you check back on that every month. Uh, you can check out the DFW exclusive mock draft database. Uh, our boy Bruce Kimbrough is in charge of that. He's known as FatCat52 on Twitter. If you want to join us, draft with us crazies, uh, make sure you hit him up on Twitter. Be sure and visit the DFW incredible forums as well as we talk shop, trade advice, and get to long-term value perspective from our knowledgeable members and staff. Um, this morning, we actually had a story about uh, running back uh, David Johnson out of northern Iowa. Uh, our our good friend, the crazy Dynasty Dan, is going to stop by to give us a little bit more insight on him. So I'm sure you all read that article this morning, but uh, make sure you come back or make sure you listen later as Dan stops by to give us uh, to give us his insight as he 
fancies himself somewhat of a running back whisperer, we'll say. Uh, recent articles, uh, Dynasty Impact, C.J. Spiller to the Saints. Another another Dynasty Impact, Shane Vereen to the Giants. Another awful uh, trio. We did a little early, early college prospect look at Nick Chubb out of Georgia. The guy is, of course, replacing uh, excuse me, Todd Gurley there in Georgia. But uh, moving on, like I said, Dante will be joining us in just a couple minutes. But, Nick, I want to get your perspective here. Uh, Cleveland Browns signed Dwayne Mary Jean Bowe, and uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars signed Bernard Pierce one day after getting arrested and released by the Ravens. Have they not learned from uh, Justin Blackman and Josh Gordon, so to speak? It seems like they're going down the same path as these exact two players. I know Bernard Pierce doesn't necessarily have a bad history, but uh, have they not learned a thing? Well, we'll start in uh, Cleveland with Dwayne Bow. I think his problems are far enough in the past that it's not that big of a risk. You know, once a guy's been clean for a few years, as often as they get tested once they're in the system, I, I'd be more inclined to trust Dwayne Bow. Uh, moving on to the Jaguars and Bernard Pierce, I think it basically comes down to money. They're set to, I think they could save a couple million against the cap if they were to release Toby Gerhardt, whereas Bernard Pierce is only going to cost them about $600,000 this year. So I, I think that was kind of a financial decision, gives them a little more leeway to uh, – cut ties with Toby Gerhardt if Pierce proves himself in camp? That would be my guess anyway. All right. I just, you think they would just want to distance themselves from players of that uh, that kind of behavior. But, uh, hey, I'm not an NFL GM, and uh, so there you go. Uh, yeah, it just didn't make a, make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, Pierce's star, as far as I'm concerned, seems to be uh, dwindling, and uh, you know Dwayne Bo could have some some quality years there, but uh, I guess maybe as a Taylor Gabriel fantasy owner, I was hoping that they would maybe lean a little bit more on him and not sign Bowen Hartline. So um seems kind of like, not no disrespect to Brian Hartline, but seems to kind of be like a dumpster fire there in Cleveland. A lot of young players and a lot of old players and not a lot of, uh, not a lot of bridge in between there. So uh, like I said, Dante will be joining us uh, very, very shortly here. Um, Nick, what are your what are your thoughts here on um, Brett Hundley being this year's Derek Carr? You know, he seems to be getting like Derek Carr did. You know, after the bad bowl game last year, Derek Carr got really pushed to the wayside, and uh, let's face it, was probably the most successful besides Teddy Bridgewater. Definitely more successful than the two first two quarterbacks in this draft. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, you know, I think he could be a definite solid number three quarterback. Uh, right now, you look at the other guys that are competing for that number three slot, guys like Garrett Grayson, Sean Mannion, Bryce Petty. Uh, I, I would I would definitely go with him over any of those guys. Yeah, um, he just has a lot of athleticism. I, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about him, you know, as the draft gets closer, and I don't think we'll be talking about him as a round one prospect, but uh, I think, you know, when when it's all said and done, he's going to be right up there. I, I think he potentially has the has the goods to be better than Winston. Uh, I, I'm just not a huge on Winston, unfortunately, but uh, I just, I, I really like uh, what he brings to the table. And, you know, like I said, he's kind of one of those guys that's just kind of slipping through the cracks. And I think some team is going to grab him, you know, the, the Jets who are in desperate need of a quarterback and a few other pieces could certainly go up, you know, go go grab him in the second or third round and be very happy. Same thing, with, you know, with uh, 
with Tennessee if they want to get rid of that um, get rid of that high pick or whatever too. So yeah, it's it's a. I just don't I don't get why people are just so down on yet. A lot of people are really high on Bryce Petty, and you know, obviously that's just a perception and opinion thing. But I'm not uh, I'm not digging it. I still think uh, I still think Hundley's definitely a top three quarterback in this draft. So uh, I guess we'll see how that all that all works out in the end. But uh, just uh, not not crazy about that uh, that perspective there. So. Uh, um, like I said, we're covering the NFC North today. Next week, we'll be covering the AFC North. Uh, we're going to have Robert D. Cobb on from Inscriber Magazine to talk about the Cleveland Browns. And one of our own as well, Mike Kraffick, is going to come on and talk about his Pittsburgh Steelers uh, right here from uh, right here from the DFW staff. So super, super excited to have both of those guys on uh, next week. Uh, moving forward here, Nick, um, Let's go to uh, let's do best number twelve. Uh, this is a series that we've been doing, uh, just talking about the best players to wear this uh, wear this jersey number throughout uh, their careers. Uh, what, what you got for us? Well, where can I even begin with the number twelve? Uh, there's a kicker that went uh, perfect thirty seven and thirty seven in two thousand three, but you probably remember him, uh, Mike Vanderjack, more for Peyton Manning calling him our idiot kicker who got liquored up. Uh, you know, one more non-quarterback. Uh, Marcus Colston's gone over 900 yards eight of his nine seasons in the league. Uh, surprisingly, he's never been to a Pro Bowl, though. And now we'll get on to the quarterbacks. Uh, Andrew Luck, he's young, but he's definitely going to climb this list as time goes on. Uh, Randall Cunningham was the first mobile quarterback I personally got to see play, and that just blew my mind when I was a kid. Uh, Stan Humphreys, Trent Dilfer, Rich Gannon, Chris Chandler, a.k.a crystal chandelier uh these guys aren't household names but each of them did lead a team to a super bowl dill for one in his appearance jim kelly never won a super bowl but he got to four in a row the bills were so fun to watch back then their no huddle offense was way ahead of its time um broadway joe namath was widely credited with increasing the popularity of the nfl um ken stabler somehow not a hall of famer four-time pro bowler and a super bowl champion though Roger Staubach was 29 years old in his first season as a full-time starter, six-time Pro Bowler, and two-time Super Bowl winner. Bob Greasy won a couple Super Bowls, including uh, leading that uh, undefeated 1972 Dolphins season, went to eight Pro Bowls also. Aaron Rodgers had to sit for his first three years behind Brett Favre, four-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion, five seasons over 4,000 yards, three seasons with 38 or more touchdowns, and he's only 31 years old, so it's possible that his best yet to come. Now, if this was the end of the list, it would rank among the best already in our series, but we still have the top two remaining. Terry Bradshaw, four-time Super Bowl winner, three-time Pro Bowler. You know, it's funny. His stats really show how the game has changed. He didn't throw more touchdowns than interceptions in a season until year six, including in his rookie year where he started eight out of 13 games. He threw six touchdowns and 24 interceptions. His completion percentage was 38, quarterback rating of 30. Quarterback did that today. He'd be lucky to get a gig you know, playing over in Europe or something. I don't know. But anyway, so while Terry Bradshaw, he's got the four rings, the winner has to be the sixth sixth round pick out of Michigan, Tom Brady. Twelve seasons going to the playoffs, four-time Super Bowl champion, ten-time Pro Bowler, seven seasons with 4,000 yards. He's got a 5,000-yard season, eight seasons with 28 or more touchdowns, including 50 touchdowns in 2007. 53,000 yards, 392 scores, and counting. Not only is he the best number 12 of all time, he might be the best quarterback of all time. 
Yeah, yeah, totally, totally agree with you there. Luck potential has has the potential, I think, to to really give him a run for the money of anybody out there. Uh, Travesty Ken Stabler, the snake, is not in the Hall of Fame. And I agree with you, too. I mean, if Randall Cunningham didn't do what he did in the mid-'80s for Philadelphia, I honestly don't know if I'd be as big of a football fan. He was so fun to watch. He kind of changed things. It didn't seem like a guy that tall and skinny should be that kind of athletic. He looked more like a basketball player out there. But uh, he was an incredible thing to watch, and the game certainly has changed. Uh, I don't know if anybody gives him enough credit, but the game certainly has changed since he was able to do those things. Uh, we got Dante on the line here. Dante, are you there? Yes, I'm here. How's it going today? Hey, how you doing, man? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Oh. All right. Uh, well, we have Dante Rump, uh, current NFL free agent. Uh, we did say, Dante, that you signed with a, an arena football team in Florida. Is that correct? Uh, yes, that is correct. Is that uh, is that season getting started there for you? <clears throat> yes, it's, at, it's actually um, getting started pretty soon. Um, had some had some things happen um, that I, I had to uh, come home and and lead the team, but we have everything straightened out now. So uh, right now I'm just pursuing my dream uh, to continue with the NFL. Okay. Uh, well, why, why don't you just maybe just tell us kind of kind of your path. Uh, undrafted free agent, is that correct? Um, and then correct. you made it to the final cut with Atlanta last year, is that right? Yes, yes, correct. Okay. Uh, yes, it's been um, a- it's been a long road. So, um, well, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but uh, if anybody had the, had the unfortunate pleasure to watch the Veteran Combine, I thought it was pretty pretty boring and kind of kind of pathetic myself. And what I didn't get is why there wasn't players like you there, Dante, because, I mean, nobody – you know, I'm sitting there watching this. I'm thinking – who's going to want a 30-year-old quarterback? Who's going to want a 29-year-old running back who obviously does not have the same step they did? I was really hoping this veteran combine thing would be for people like you because you were you really only had Atlanta look at you because you signed the free agent deal, I'm assuming right after the draft. Nobody else has really seen you do your thing besides maybe a couple other coaches in the preseason. I thought that's what the whole point of this display was. Any thoughts there? Right, um, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I actually applied for it, submitted my uh, my form several times, and uh, they actually got to me two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, and they was basically saying thank you for submitting the form, but we were unable to uh, send you an invite. And uh, I wasn't able to watch it because uh, I had other priorities. I had other priorities, but. You know, it's just, it's just. You know, I wish I would have got a, another chance to, you know, basically showcase my talent and showcase my potential and what I can do. But, um, you know, I just gotta keep my faith in God. I know He has a different plan for me. I know He has a different route for me. So, you know, I just have to continue to work out and train myself and build on my weaknesses as well as my strengths. And, you know, just keep pushing because it's not over. 
Okay, we're talking to Dante Rump here on the Dynasty Pulse podcast presented by Dynasty Football Warehouse. Uh, Nick, do you have any questions there for Dante? Uh, yeah, Dante, I was curious. Uh, how did your first training camp last year in the NFL with Atlanta compare with the spring and summer practices at the University of Kentucky? You know, obviously to toss out the, the hard knocks aspect. I was just more uh, talking about, like, the football aspect. Uh, was it more demanding? Uh, yes, a lot more demanding. Um, just the just the skill set there and the professionalism, you know, everything was really organized. Uh, it was it was so many so much competition, you know, just just everybody's a pro there, everybody's an NFL player. And it's not like you have, you know, your um your your star players or you don't have your star players. You have players that basically belong in the practice squad. Everybody's a professional there, so just that level of professionalism and that level of skill and the speed of the game, it's it's so much faster and, you know, it it just took a lot of adapting to it. But once you get adapted you kinda of get a feel for everything that's going on. So that's that's probably the main thing that that really caught me off guard was the speed of the game and just the skill set that everybody had. But once you get adapted you get into the, the rotation of things and you kinda of get the flow of things, it it becomes easier over time. When you uh, when you sign that free agent deal after after the draft, I say how how does that go down? I mean, is there is there an interview process? Or are they just uh, just throw a, throw a contract in front of you? Hey, you want to come to you know you want to you want to come train camp with us? How, does, how exactly does that go down? Well, actually, um, I was uh, I was home. I was at my home in St. Matthew, South Carolina, and uh, I got a call from my agent saying, Hey, this this is what we this is what we have right now. So basically, it became it came down to uh, between the New York Jets and the Atlanta Falcons. So, um, you know, my agent did his thing with negotiating a, a contract that would benefit me the best. So, um, Atlanta just stepped up to the plate with the better the better contract. So, my agent called me back and he said, "Hey, you know, we got we got you rolling with Atlanta." And then some of the personnel called me from Atlanta. It was just it was just mind blowing, but it couldn't even really sink in because I had to leave out the next day. So I was still in disbelief. But as soon as I, as soon as I walked into the facility for the first time, my my eyes were just big, and I was just blown away. You know, just that's every kid's dream. You know, just to make it to the NFL. I was just blessed with the opportunity to actually, you know, be be that lucky to actually have the opportunity to play in the NFL such as the Atlanta Falcons and be so close to home as well. So it was definitely a blessing. Um, if you were to say, you know, if you were to be a part of the uh, the rookie symposium or say something to to a guy that's in your position post-draft this year, a guy that's going to be possibly a, a free agent signing, what, what would you say to them? Uh, basically, I would say um, don't hold anything back. Uh, if you're going to make a mistake, then make it going 100%. You know, uh, my my coach told me, you know, you know, you're still learning. So I rather you just go 100% rather than 75% and you're just guessing. So if you don't know how to play, if you don't know where to go, or don't know what to do, just blow something up. Just go. Just have fun with it. Be calm. Be confident. And just stay consistent. Be calm and be confident. I love it. Nick, any more questions there? 
Uh, I was just wondering, how does it work if an NFL team calls you during the arena season? Is there a clause in your contract there in Jacksonville that allows you to leave? I'm assuming the NFL team wouldn't want you risking injury after you would signed with them. Right. Um, actually, they do allow you to leave. Uh, if it's a tryout, then they allow you to try out. They basically uh, hold everything until uh, everything is uh, finalized. And if you make it, then, you know, hey, good luck. If not, then you would just go back and basically start where you start where you started from, and you just continue with uh, where you left off. But uh, it's it's definitely a good opportunity just to you know just to stay in football shape and you know just just kind of keep just kind of stay greased up. Oh, I like that too. Stay greased up. Um, so as far as uh. As far as the NFL, do you think you can? Do you think you can be, you know, both can play both defensive tackle and nose tackle, nose guard, whatever you want to call it? Do you think you have that? Have that has any need to play both of those positions? Uh, I think I do because um, actually that was my um, that was my primary position in college. So uh, when I came into uh, the Falcons camp, that was actually my first time ever playing nose and. Uh, it was different. It, it took some adapting, but, you know, with time and, you know, consistency, you know, it, it started to come natural. And uh, I really feel like I can really say that I'm a versatile player now, that I've really just built my resume to be a versatile player because I can literally say that I can play anywhere on the defensive line, whether it's end, defensive tackle, nose, Anywhere from zero to five, I can play because I've had experience in each position. Okay, Nick, any other questions there? Um, yeah, do you see yourself as like a three-down player then, or are you more of a specialist run stopper or pass rusher? Honestly, I see myself anywhere on the field. I just love the game of football, and anywhere I can get on the field, I'm there. So, if it's in the third-down situation, hey, I'm there. If it's in the First, second down, win stopper situation. Hey, I'm there. As long as I'm playing football, I'm doing what I'm loving and just putting God first. I'm I'm there, so it, it doesn't matter to me. I have no preference. What um, as far as uh, as your uh, your strengths, like what what would some of maybe the uh, the offensive linemen that played against you in the SEC, what would they say that? Something that you do that we don't necessarily see on the on the game table. Um, honestly, uh, I would I would probably say recognition of the offense, just uh, studying the offense and knowing what what possible plays they can run out of certain out of certain formations and certain situations. So, just to um, Say if it's a third and long, then and I'm in a five technique. Obviously, I'm gonna get wide and I'm gonna force a pass rush and try to collapse the pocket. But uh, yeah, just just that, just that, just knowing that and being a smart football player, just certain situations and adapting to certain formations and kind of studying my opponent. That's 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 probably one of my my biggest my biggest benefits and in my game because you if you don't study your opponent then how you know what to do in certain situations. 
So it's just like class and it's just like school to me. You have to you have to become a student of the game. Seems like there might be a little uh little coaching in your future too, just kinda of getting that sense as the way as the way you approach things there, Dante. Is, is that something that maybe you could inspire to do later on in life? Oh, most definitely, most definitely. Um with uh with my uncle being a coach, uh coaching is definitely in my blood and you know, it's not not only coaching, but you know, just being surrounded by the game of football. I mean, I've I've been in my own football all my life. Football is something heavily, heavily in my family. So, just coaching and you know, just trying to help out the youth and being involved with football and youth—that's that's something I would love to do. But um, as far as a player, uh, I I don't think I'm finished. I know I'm not finished. I still have some some work to do some things to prove, so I'm ready. Okay. Nick, any other questions there? Um, yeah, you've you've proved that you could play on the hundred yard field. You know, as a senior playing at Kentucky in the SEC, the best conference in college football, you still have forty seven tackles and even though you're facing constant double teams. But I was curious how you think the transition is gonna be playing on a smaller field with smaller uh smaller rosters and all that in, in arena. Do you know much about that yet? Oh yes, um, actually I had some experience with that. The the field actually caught me off guard, but it's 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 not really so much different. It's just the speed of the game is different. Everything's a lot faster. So, um, thank God that when I was at Kentucky, everybody was starting to starting to change to a, a higher tempo offense. So you can kind of say that I'm used to it. You know, with everybody going to a fast tempo type offense, so and no huddle type offense, so um, it wasn't hard to adapt at all, not at all. Okay, sounds like it could maybe build a little little endurance up in you too, and that's uh, maybe some stamina as well. I guess and that's not never well, never exactly. a bad thing. Never a bad thing, not in the sport of football. Well, Dante, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we wish you all the luck in the world, and uh, you know you, cer- you certainly uh, are a bright young man who who is who's driven and and has has a goal in mind, and we we hope to see you achieve that. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate you having me on your show, and you know it's just a blessing that that you gave me this opportunity. I I, I really feel fortunate to you know have this opportunity to, to speak with you and Nick on the show. I really appreciate. It. Well, thank you, Dante, and keep grinding, buddy, all right? All right. You guys have a blessed day. You too. Okay, I think the wonderful and amazing Sonia Greenfield is already in the queue here. Oops. Hello, Sonia, hello. are you there? Well, I am how here. are you doing today? I am well. How uh, are you? We are doing good. Uh, just got off to find a current NFL agent, Dante Rump, and now we are joined by Sonia Greenfield. Uh, she is the Detroit Lions fan reporter for NFL Female. Uh, she also does one of their podcasts as well, and uh, she's also pretty awesome because she's, she's a good friend to us, and uh, we, we, we enjoy having her on. So, Sonia, thank you for joining us. Uh, oh, thank you so much for having missed? me on. 
Um, I do also dabble around and write with the guys over at A Good Sports Hang as well, so make sure you guys check them out if you haven't already. Uh, they're on Twitter, so yeah. And speaking of Twitter, in case you in case you maybe think you saw me linked with Sonia, we had a little race to a thousand followers a few months ago. And unfortunately, <laughs> what what we I did, did. I, I opened up the power that is is NFL female, and it was not not pretty. She uh she I started with about a twenty follower lead, and she uh she crushed me. So uh, I think I owe you some swag. Yeah, I kind of rallied a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You got, you got those nah, being on your podcast I, uh, is good enough. <laughs> all right, I thought I got the wrath, certainly. But anyway, we are here to talk about your Detroit Lions. Um, That's right. So, what's what's uh, what are we thinking here with the? Uh, if Joyce Bell is now the number one, does that make uh, Theo Riddick the new y- younger Reggie Bush? Um, it does, I guess, by default, but either way, I don't think that these guys are going to be it moving forward. I mean, as of now, yes, they are going to be, you know, our core, our group, but I still feel that, you know, they're going to try and maybe add a more Reggie Bush type um, coming up in the draft. That's my deep down darkest feelings, but, you know, does that leave theoretic right now? Yes, it does, but... Eh, they're both kind of, they're good, but I don't think that they're going to be what we all hope and think that they could be. Well, I think they'll certainly have the ability to, you know, to play off of each other and you guys can play to their strength as well. Cause I, I like both of them, you know, Bell's had a little bit of a, little bit of an injury history, but he seems to be finished the year kind of strong. And I think Riddick came on kind of, kind of out of a surprise, for some people, but he came on and was certainly a, a quality player, especially when Bush went down. So I, I like Riddick yes, a lot. Yes. Um, for you, you deep like both of them. I was like, please don't get me wrong. I do like both oh, yeah. of them. Joyce Bell, especially, um, you know, he's been a good story since he's bounced around so much in the NFL and then finally came back here home to Detroit, you know, where he played over at Wayne State and was their security guard, was a Lion security guard over at um, – Allen Park. So, you know, having him being able to come back, that's always great. And, you know, the fans love him. We all love him. But, yeah, I still think they're going to go running back in the draft. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll get to the draft a little bit later. But, uh, Nick, any questions there for our dear friend, Sonia? Yeah, I was wondering about Theo Riddick. Do you think he could eventually develop into an every-down type of back, or do you think he'll forever be that Reggie Bush, Shane Vereen style, just passing down type of running back? Um, I don't think that he'll eventually be the every down back. I think that, again, well, not leaning towards the draft. I think that's what they're going to try and look for more in the draft. But I do see him, for now, kind of filling that Reggie Bush role um, and, you know, catching passes out of the backfield, trying to, you know, get us some yards after the catch and keep it moving. So, yeah, I do think he might, for now, be a Reggie Bush type and, again, play him and Joyce Bell kind of off of each other. I think that's eventually what's going to have to have happen. Okay. Well, since you keep alluding to it, what 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 are you thinking about the draft? What what running backs 
do you think they they would maybe look at? Well, word has it is that they've looked at Todd Gurley coming out of you or coming out of Georgia. That's one that they've spent a little bit of time with. Um, another one who I would like to see them take is. Um, Either the one out of Nebraska, which, of course, I'm bad at names right now. I can't remember anybody's. Um, and then also the running back out of, yes. Amir Abdullah. And, yes, him. Absolutely. Like I said, I'm bad at names. And then um, also the running back out of Wisconsin. Those are the two that I think, you know, would fit our lineup very well. But, you know. Those are what I'm thinking. Are they going to, I mean, will they go first round? If they're going to get one of those two, then yes, they're going to have to go first round running back. Do I really want them to go first round running back? Yeah, we'll see. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay, next question. Ebron, 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 where is the, where is your current development on Mr. Eric Ebron? And how, how is the team feeling about uh, our boy wonder. Our boy wonder, our awesome first round draft pick last year after we re-signed <laughs> and, and dropped a few. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I want to say that they're feeling a little bit better about him. Um, yeah, they do realize that he did start off kind of wonky and, you know, wasn't really who we thought he was going to be at first because, you know, everybody, when we drafted him, they're like, oh, he's going to be our Jimmy Graham. He's going to, you know, really give our offense just that extra lift that we need and things like that. And, you know, you saw, like I saw, he came out and was pretty much nothing, dropped a lot of passes, things like that. But towards the end of the season, I think he did kind of pick it up. And so I think that got are encouraged by his, you know, slower development towards the end of the year. I think that they're, they were encouraged by that. And so I think that still going forward, he's still going to be a part of our our offense. And a, I think hopefully they're a little bit bigger part of our offense and actually being able to catch some passes and, um, you know, be able to kind of step into that role a little bit more. Okay. Well, here's what I think they should do. I think he should be in training camp and when you guys travel, his his roommate needs to be Calvin Johnson. He needs to be strapped to Calvin Johnson's hip and just absorb all the knowledge that Calvin can give. I think uh, I think that would be well beneficial for anybody, really. But I think especially him, I think they're the same type of player, albeit uh, a different position. Um, and uh, with that, I can just roll right in the next question because I think he could potentially be, you know like that Jimmy Graham wide receiver hybrid. Uh, we're going to keep the Jimmy Graham comparisons going, why not? Uh, so after Megatron and Golden Tate, who who do you think is the true number three wide receiver on this? Is true number – oh, I don't really think that we have a true number three wide receiver. You know, we have um, a lot of people, God bless them, that Ryan Burrells, he was, you know, we drafted him coming out of Oklahoma – and he was supposed to be kind of wide receiver number three, but he's had a couple of injuries, you know, big injuries over the past couple of years that have kept him out. And this past season, 2014, he really didn't get to sniff the playing field at all. I'm trying to remember how many, you know, actual games he played in, not that many. And so, you know, he was one. But I think Corey Fuller kind of stepped up into 
that third wide receiver role a little bit. Um, and so we don't really have a true one, but could they, I think, eventually develop, like you said, um, Eric Ebron in that kind of Jimmy Graham wide receiver hybrid? I would love that. That, And I think that that would really make Detroitians feel very excited about, you know, drafting Ebron when we could have had Odell Beckham Jr. But that's another story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and I think, you know, if you if you give him those chances in the slot and he has success, that's only going to help him when they ask him to come back to the line. And, you know, because if, if he can shake a, a, a nickel back, he's certainly going to be able to shake most, most outside linebackers or, or, you know, the safety that comes up to help in coverage. Um, Nick, right. Any questions there for Sonia? Uh, yeah, I think on the stat sheet anyway, Jeremy Ross was uh, the wide receiver number th- or at least in stats, was the wide receiver three for uh, Detroit last year with 24 catches. Any thoughts on him? Jeremy Ross, I do like him. I think um, I think he's a pretty good third receiver, but I still don't think he is going to be it. Like I said, like for the third wide receiver position, I, again, you know, I really did like Corey Fuller. And I think that he'll develop a little bit more into that type of third wide receiver. But again, um, I don't know. We'll just kind of have to see. I really do think that they kind of wanted Eric Ebron to start to fill that position. So I think that we'll kind of have to wait and see on that. But wide receiver has been kind of an iffy position. Not iffy position because, of course, we have Calvin and we've got um, Pete now. But I think every time we've drafted a wide receiver since then, it's just kind of been like, oh, here we go with another wide receiver since we've had drafted so many in the past. And not that many of them have turned out besides, you know, Mr. Johnson. But, you know, so wide receiver is kind of a touchy situation here in Detroit. Would they eventually look to the draft maybe for third wide receiver? Possibly. But I don't know. I see more so Ebron filling that kind of position. Well, and you got to understand, you know, any any receiver drafted after Calvin Johnson, you know, you can't expect him to be Calvin Johnson, unfortunately. They're, they're kind of they're kind of unfortunately no. get on the field. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, you you did mention you guys passing on Odell Beckham Jr., but uh, let's not forget to uh, who passed on Calvin Johnson. So <laughs> uh, that would be uh, Marcus Russell. Uh, but anyway. Uh, let's but, shift over sorry. to the defense a little bit. <laughs> That's all right. I may eventually get over it, but it's going to take some time, a lot more time. But anyway. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I really yeah. did think that he was going to the Raiders. I really did think. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to tell a quick story here. I read a story a few, few weeks back about how before – uh, when Jamarcus Russell was doing his team visits, you know, much like Mariota and Winston doing right now, he did um, uh-huh. he did his team visit with Oakland, and apparently, you know, Al Davis said, "Yeah, we're going to take you number one or whatever. Don't worry about it." He went straight from there to Detroit, and uh, he went to his interview with Matt Millen, and you know, you know, obviously, Detroit fans feel a certain way about Matt Millen as as what happened with their team when he was there, but Matt Millen said after a couple <laughs> exactly. questions, you know, he was just he was just looking at his watch and kind of looking off in the corner. And he just said, uh, he finally just said to Jamarcus, he goes, you got to be somewhere. And he's like, uh, Oh no, sir. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then he asked him like, like a set of 
set him more questions. And then he looked down at his watch again, and Matt Millen ultimately just threw him out of the room. And apparently Jamarcus Russell went down the hall to the next, you know, executive or whatever he was supposed to interview, and the same thing happened. So Matt Millen, being the former Oakland Raider, called Al Davis and said, what what happened when you guys interviewed this kid? You know, because this is what happened here. And I, I he's like, I got to tell you, you know, Coach, you know, obviously playing with Oakland as long as Matt Millen did, he's had a lot, a lot of aspirations for Al Davis. But, but you guys can't take this number one. You can't take this guy number one. And Al thought Matt Mellon just wanted to take Jamarcus Russell. He thought he was not believing it at all. And uh, the rest, I guess, is history. But anyway, that was my little story. Yeah. Um, yeah, wow. I didn't hear that. Let's, yeah, let's shift to the defensive side of the ball. Can Haloti Nada replace McDomican Sue's production? That is a good question, and you know, he might—he's probably be as good as Ndamukong Sue was, but I think that he will at least be possible in that position. Do I think that? I mean, obviously, nobody is going to be Ndamukong Sue except Ndamukong Sue, but I don't think that Holodinata is going to be a bad replacement. I was actually kind of thrilled that we did get him. You know, he's being reunited with um, Caldwell. He's going to be reunited with um, Terrell Austin. And that's really who I think is going to be the make or break of our defense. Because, yeah, we've had Sue all these years and they've been a good defense. But I think until we actually got Terrell Austin in the fold and in the mix, that's when our defense really did step up and become the deal it was last year. And so I think if we've got Terrell Austin and Mr. Um, Ngata, or yeah, Ngata, I think that we will, um, while he won't be Sue, I think that we will be able to use him in a way that hopefully will be effective as Sue was. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. No, and, and that makes total sense. And I think your defense is really set up to make that position successful because Sue was able to do what he was able to do, and they were kind of able to build around it. So I don't feel like they're going to have to change their scheme very much. Uh, you think you can agree with that? Or Well, you know, there has been a lot of talk of if they should switch over to a 3-4 from a 4-3. And as of now, everybody's like, nope, 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 not changing. We're going to keep it the way it was or the way it's always been here. And so I I believe that they'll keep the defensive scheme for now. But I wouldn't be surprised, though, if maybe going into training camp that they do an experiment with that 3-4 instead of the 4-3. Um, Hello? Nick, are you still there? Uh, I am. Did we lose Sonia? Um, we must... Can you hear me? Oh, there you are. We lost you there for a second. Hello? Could you... Yep. Are you still there? Hello? Yep, I'm still here. You guys still there? Okay. Yep, we lost you there for a second. Can you hear me? Yep. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That's okay. Perfect. Could you repeat what you were saying there? Oh, okay. Yeah. So about the defensive scheme, three, four. And personally, I think that, you know, 
as of now, they are going to, they are saying that they're going to stay in a four or three, but I think that if we've got the personnel to maybe try a three, four going into training camp and OTAs and stuff, why not give it a go? Why not just see what will happen if we've got the personnel to hopefully, you know, if they can run that effectively, I think why not go? It can't hurt. Yeah. Certainly not, and there's there's a lot of athletes on the on that front seven with uh, Anza and uh, uh, excuse me Levy. They certainly have they certainly have the options to 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 move those linebackers or edge rushers around too. So Nick, any any questions or thoughts there? Uh, I'll just add that I think Nod is a great substitute for uh, Nadamakan Sue. He's a little bit older, but you know he's been really reliable his whole career. He played in 12 games last year, and that's his career low. So you got to like the consistency that he's going to provide, at least for another two, three years there. I think in Detroit. Oh, totally, totally. I was I was really happy with the signing or with the trade. I was really happy that we didn't give up. You know, a whole bunch. We gave up a couple draft picks, but again, like I've said, we haven't drafted horribly well in the past. So, you know, our our fourth round and fifth round. I think we lost Sonia again there. Hello? Okay, maybe she'll come back here in a second. Uh, we are going to move on to the Detroit Lions uh, draft needs and whatnot. Um, hopefully, Sandy can come back and join us. Uh, I'm not sure what happened there. But, uh, Nick, any thoughts there on uh, their draft? Uh, well, you know, Sonia touched on the fact that they could go for a running back uh, like Todd Gurley early on, but I think they're going to go uh, in the trenches. They've got the number 23 pick. I just think they take the best player available either in the offensive or defensive line. Uh, yeah, they you know, they have some secondary needs as well. I know they've addressed that somewhat uh, via free agency, but, uh, yeah, I think you got to definitely look at the uh, the best player available here. Sonia is back on. Sonia, okay, are you there? I, hey. I don't know what happened. I don't know either. You just you kinda you kinda we kinda just zapped right off when you were talking again. But uh that's all right. Um what what are your thoughts here on the uh the, the free agency period so far and uh, the upcoming draft needs of this U Detroit Lions? Um, so far free agency we've been a little bit quiet, but we did have, you know, obviously Holding out of that sign or that trade, so that was pretty good. I was I was excited about that. Um, we have obviously had a couple of departures, um, and Namikin Sue being one, Nick Fairley being the other one. Who I was actually not super surprised that he left, but um, I think the biggest thing that I was really surprised about was how skinny he looked. Um, at his press conference in St. Louis. So that was actually kind of funny to me. Um, but overall, I think right now they've made some pretty decent moves, and I'm I'm pretty pleased with what they've done so far. Um, free agent or draft-wise, I think running back for sure will be in need of dress and offensive line. I really do think that that is one that needs to be addressed within the first two rounds. If possible, um, so yeah, running back or running back for sure, 
Um, offensive line, those are my two like top picks that we need. Okay. Any any thoughts of like positions excuse me, they're along the offensive line that you think they need the most? Um, let's see. I'm thinking maybe Center, I think, is one thing that is going to have to be addressed. Right now, we did draft Travis Swanson last year, um, and I am Team Swanson, but he is more. I think I think he's more suited, like um, not left left guard. I think is what he played a lot of last year, and so you know if we get a center or even a right guard, because. Um, Rob Sims, he's starting to get up there a little bit, and he was kind of injured a few games last year. So I would say center or right guard for sure would be two things that I think we would need. Okay. Um, I think, you know, we've talked about the receivers too and kind of who their number three is. I think there's some guys deeper in this draft that could potentially help them. Um, I bring up the name Eric Hardy, I feel like, every week, but he's – He's he's just a little speedster. I think he could be uh, a guy in the slot that could certainly create some space. And you know, with obviously with Megatron and uh, hopefully the mature, the maturation of Eric Ebron, he's going to have the potential to be open downfield. And a lot to be said about those speed guys that can that can do that. That's going to open up the rest of this offense. So especially with the exactly with like Megatron that you just have to respect. You can't ever take him for granted where he is on the field. Even it seems like when he's dinged up, he just makes plays. I was about to say, even when he was hurt last year and even when he's been hurt in years past, you know, you always have to respect him. And he, even if he's there just kind of in a decoy position, that's always, that's actually been kind of helpful for us. Mm-hmm, most definitely. Uh, well, typically when we have somebody come on and talk about their team after we're done, we let them go. But uh, because we because we love Sonia so much, we asked her to be uh, judge. Actually, I asked her to be judge, um, and I guess I didn't tell Nick about this. But anyway, I'm going to ask <laughs> you to be very okay. fair and impar- fair and impartial for Sonia, and you're going to have to take off your lion swag because we're we're going to do something that we like to call the dynasty dilemma. That's where we pit two players against each other, and sticking with the NFC North. Uh, this week, we're going Kyle Rudolph against Eric Ebron. So we, I, I know I'm really, really kind of waiting things my way, but Nick is so awesome at this, I really need some help. But I, you need to be very fair and impartial. So what's going to happen, Sonia, is you are you are judge. I didn't have time to send you a gavel, but you are judge. Nick is going to go <laughs> first. I will go after that, and then Nick maybe has a chance to uh, rebut whatever I uh, said. So, Nick, uh, let's play the music, and then you go. Kyle Rudolph.
Now, I fully admit that Eric Ebron has the higher ceiling. He was a high draft pick last year. Physically, Ebron's on another level than Kyle Rudolph and really on another level than most of the other tight ends in the league. But upside and ability don't always translate to fantasy points. Uh, He had 25 catches for just under 250 yards and only one touchdown as a rookie, and he admitted that he was overwhelmed by the transition into the NFL. And at first glance, Kyle Rudolph's numbers don't look much better, 24 catches, 230 yards, and two scores last year. But he also played four less games than Ebron and played in a much less potent offense. Uh, Rudolph went to the Pro Bowl the last time he played a full season, actually, and he's found Pater 17 times over the last four years. And again, Eric Ebron only one touchdown last year. You know, uh, Rudolph's the main tight end in an up-and-coming offense with a pretty good second-year quarterback. I would definitely prefer the more proven Kyle Rudolph over Eric Ebron if I'm looking for a starter on a contending fantasy team for this year. Okay. I wonder if he was maybe a uh... <laughs> An alternate Pro Bowl selection that year. But anyway, uh, he's never had more than 53 catches in the season, or he's never had over 500 yards. He did have nine touchdowns in 2012, which got people a lot of people excited about him. But he's played in 17 games the last two seasons. That's Rudolph. Ebron, as we said earlier, is basically the wide receiver number three for the Lions. Um, sure, I expected the moon out of him as a rookie, but he and he looked extremely mortal. But at least Ebron avoided any major injury. Rudolph, obviously not so much. Rudolph is a more traditional tight end where he could be counted on as a blocker for a young quarterback and a spotty running game. Ebron does not really care about blocking, which is not necessarily a good thing, but therefore his his upside is a little bit bigger because he maybe has less of a potential to get injured, especially if they keep him out there on the slot. He can maybe be that baby Jimmy Graham type of player, and that's I think that's certainly a legitimate possibility. Not all that caliber, but, you know, 60%, 70% of that production, okay. I realize it takes no effort to make such a bold prediction like comparing him to Jimmy Graham, but I just think at a tight end he has the ability to stretch the field, and he's very fleet of foot, and, he's, and his agility – uh, as opposed to most tight ends who live and die on seven-yard slant, much like your uh, overweight Kyle Rudolph. I don't know if he's overweight. I just thought I'd uh, <laughs> Nick, any, any rebuttals? Um, I agree with everything you said there, but, you know, again, it's all about upside and potential, whereas uh, Kyle Rudolph's a little bit more proven. So, you know, if I'm trying to win this year, I would rather have Kyle Rudolph as my starter. Okay. So we have basically – a win now versus a, a dynasty potential. What what do you think there, Sonia? Okay, Judge Sonia says that um, if you are trying to win now, I go with Kyle Rudolph. I just hit the wall. That was my gavel. <laughs> wow. Did you really betray your Detroit Lions there? I did betray my Detroit Lions. (laughs) No, I don't Uh, want any purple. Thank you so much. And I think it just mostly is because potential. Yes, the potential is there for Eric Ebron to be baby Jimmy Graham, to be that third wide receiver that we've got, but he hasn't shown us anything yet. And so I think until he can show us more stuff, I say go with the proven Kyle Rudolph. Okay. Uh, and in case you want to weigh in on this, you can vote on uh, our Dynasty Dilemma of the Week at DynastyFootballWarehouse.com. After I casted my vote for Eric Ebron, uh, Rudolph still winning 12 votes to 11. So make sure you 
make sure you get get your vote on there so we can have a a good consensus for you next week. Um, Sonia, as always, thank you so much for doing this. You know thank you're coming back. Thank you so back, much for having so. me on. Yes, I can't okay. wait to come back during the season and we can evaluate Mr. Ebron's performance, let's say, mid, okay. mid-season. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Thank you very much, Sonia, and uh, I'm sure we'll, uh, sure we'll keep in touch and can't wait to have you back on again. Oh, for sure. Thanks again, you guys. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, well, in about five minutes, we're going to be visited by uh, DFW royalty, if you will. Uh, but uh, why don't we uh, why don't we uh, just go to uh, ADP surprises and risers, Nick? Uh, what what do you got for us in the in the ADP field as we are continuing our our mock draft extravaganza here before the actual NFL draft? Well, we'll start off with some quarterbacks. I'll give you three names. Uh, I think Drew Brees at number five is a bit too high at his age. Seems like he was a little bit in decline last year. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater at number eight to me seems a little steep, given that we've only seen him really for one year. And then uh, I was really surprised to see RG3 ranked above guys like Andy Dalton and Jay Cutler. I mean, at least at least Dalton and Cutler's coaches want them to succeed. It seems like Jay Gruden just has it out for a Griffin there in Washington. Okay, uh, some of my uh, some of my ranked uh, too high are, are Sammy Watkins. Um, I know he's young. I know he's amazing. Uh, but Rex Ryan said just this week that they they would run the ball fifty sixty times if they need to. I just I'm, I think right now the scheme for Sammy Watkins is not going to be there. He's going to be very touchdown dependent. He's you know he's like one of the top you know, five or six receivers going off of the board. Uh, you know, I've seen him go above 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 a lot of guys that I, you know, have a lot of respect for. And, you know, he's certainly in that top ten realm. But I just don't think he deserves to be there. I think he, you know, potentially a different scheme is, is obviously a top five receiver, top ten receiver. But right now with that with Rex Ryan there, uh, I know he's not the offensive coordinator, but I just don't I don't see that happening there for Watkins. Uh Jonathan Stewart, seriously, I just saw somebody take him in the sixth round. I just don't know why you would put yourself through that. <laughs> I think this team will draft a running back. And I mean, if Jonathan Stewart plays 12 games this year, I'll eat something I don't like. I just, I just don't, <laughs> I just don't see it happening. Um, uh, conversely, I see both Cincy running backs. I think they're both a little too high. Um, Obviously, if you like in a 12-team league, you're going to have to have take Jeremy Hill as probably your first running back. But I think people need to pump the brakes. I love this guy. I love him, love him, love him. But people need to pump the brakes on him just a little bit because Bernard is still there, and they're gonna. I think they're still going to generally play the hot hand. I know Jeremy Hill had a better year last year, um, but I don't think that means Bernard is going to be fall by the wayside. But he's kind of going a little high too. I think there's going to be a nice little class there and they're going to uh, use both of these guys. I think it's going to be 50, 50 unless one of them gets hurt. That's going to be 50, 50. I know, I know Hill was awesome, but I don't think they're going to give him, you know, 300, 350 carries. I just don't see that happening. Um, what about, uh, what do you got there for too low there, Nick? Um, for too low, uh, a lot of veteran guys. You know, Justin Forsett, I think, was ranked in the 40s. Frank Gore in the 50s. I think both of those are probably going to rise. I think that probably reflects the uncertainty before free agency started about where they'd end up. Uh, and then uh, Colston, the receiver for the 
Saints was ranked at, I think, 92. He's got to be good for at least one more year, especially all the people that they've lost. I think that would uh, lead to an uptick in targets there for Colston. Uh, and I believe uh, Pierre Garçon was ranked in the 60s. Uh, the year before last, he led the NFL in receptions. I know they got Deshaun Jackson, but there's rumors, actually, that Washington could draft a receiver at five and then look to move with Garçon. Uh, so, you know, who knows what's going to happen there. But I think that's pretty low in the 60s for Garçon. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you all, all the way around. And remember, these are dynasty startups, so, you know, people are certainly going to go younger whenever available. But a guy, I'm talking about a 30-year-old tight head here in Delaney Walker, you know, I see him going like in the round 20, something like that. I think this guy has probably, you know, three, maybe four years of, of solid production left at the tight end position. You know, maybe that's a bit of a stretch, but if you take a guy like Max Williams early or Jesse James, Clive Wolford, I think you can take Walker after that and maybe lean on him. Um, conversely, I feel like Jason Morrow is going a little bit low, too, and Michael Rivera. Um, maybe we can give Dan Dan Guff about that when he comes on. I think Michael Rivera is rated way too low in DFW, but that's just, just my personal opinion. Uh, I'm a crazy Raiders fan, so whatever. Um and a lot of things don't seem to move on MLF, and maybe they will change here as the summer goes on. But, like, Andre Johnson is really low. Darren McFadden is really low. These guys are obviously going into uh, two better situations. And, obviously, there's the uh, the injury thing there with McFadden. But uh, And another guy I'm a little surprised is going really, really low. I think he's still available in one of our mocks after around, like, 25. Is Chris Ivory. I think he's going to be the starting running back there. He's only 27 years old. I know that's old for running back, but uh, – he certainly has the, the solid uh, potential to be good. So I uh, should not leave Dan on the line any longer here, but uh, he did call him a little bit early. But anyway, a man that obviously needs no introduction to the Dynasty Dynasty Football Warehouse community, and that's Dan the Ramblin' Man. Hi. Josh, how you doing, man? Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you guys be a part of DFW, man. It's exciting. Well, we certainly certainly appreciate the opportunity, and uh, like I said, you did call in a little bit early, so I didn't want, I didn't mean to keep you on there too long. But uh, I just like uh, to hear you guys you for... chat. <laughs> okay. All right. Did we do all right on our on our ADP risers? And yeah, I think I think Nick nailed it on a, on a lot of it. You know, it, there's so much uncertainty with some of those and since we're publishing you know like Darren McFadden you mentioned Josh you know I mean obviously that guy's going to rise with April's you know with April's rankings having landed in Dallas I mean as of now I don't know what they're planning for the draft or whatever but you know if McFadden can stay healthy he's got the best offensive line and football to run behind and if you give the guy a little space he could I think just about any running back could be successful in Dallas so you know, things like that are definitely going to affect it. And like you said, Forsett re-signing had a, you know, is, is really nice. And, you know, Baltimore's kind of up in the air right now. So uh, he could very well be the man for another year. And the dude, you know, he deserves it, quite frankly. 
So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely going to be some movers this month having, you know, seen everything shake out the way it is. So it'll be interesting in a couple days when we publish those new rankings. So, yeah. But, yeah. And like I said with McFadden before, if they can keep him upright for 16 games, that that, that he could certainly be a quality quality uh, fantasy player. And, it, it, you know, it might, it might not be said enough that – fact that yeah he was injured almost his whole career in Oakland but he never had an offensive line near what they have in Dallas so uh he never had an uh, offense (laughs) (laughs) a quarterback uh but anyway um so Dan is going to be joining us here probably every week if we can if we are so lucky I should say to be talking about a name you might not know in uh, the in the in the dra- upcoming NFL draft, of course, we had a story break today about Northern Iowa running back David Johnson, and that's why uh, Dan is here today to talk about that. So, what do you got for us on David Johnson? Yeah, so you know, you know me, I love to find the diamond in the rough, the one nobody's talking about and, um, you know, pride myself on running backs in particular. And I'm just falling in love with David Johnson. Uh, He's been climbing my rankings really, really quick in a completely loaded running back draft class. And he is starting to get a little more notoriety coming from Northern Iowa. He really didn't get anything until he started blowing up the combine with his athleticism. But, David Johnson is a guy that everybody needs to be aware of. I mean, currently for March, I think I have him sixth in my rankings. Right now I have him actually fourth, which is going to make a lot of people go, what? Um, But honestly, you need to go watch this guy play. Um, He's got an extremely special skill set that I just don't see how he won't be uh, at least a um, a very good player at the next level. Uh, As I was scouting him, I was having a really hard time finding a comparison for him. Um, But once my uh, counterpart scout, he kind of does it informally for the the site, Dan Hostler. I really value his opinions, and we see things just a little differently. So a lot of times we point things out to each other and say, hey, do you see this? Am I looking at this right, et cetera? And he's definitely made me a better scout. Um, But – the comparison that we brought up, which I didn't see on tape until I actually looked at a Mike Mayock tape with some field-level footage of the guy. So getting down and actually seeing him run like you were standing on the sideline instead of up in the bleachers. And he is a spitting image of Matt Forte. And I I absolutely can't say enough about this guy's pass-catching ability. He's the best pass catcher that I've ever scouted. Now, granted, I've only been doing it for four years, but he is without a doubt has the best hands in terms of a receiver. And it makes sense that he was a natural wide receiver and actually converted over to the running back position. And that actually explains some of my, you know, some of his weaknesses as a running back. Um, Some of his lower body, you know, his lower body strength could be a little bit better. Um, He doesn't get that leg power drive that you would see from a guy who's 6'1", 225, 230 pounds. This is a big guy who can jump 42 inches in the air, can run a 4'5", you know. I mean, this guy has explosion all over him. He's faster than Duke Johnson and carrying 30 more pounds you know, to give you an idea 
of what this guy's athleticism is. So David Johnson may have played at a small town, you know, a, a, a small time school against some lesser, you know, competition. But I encourage anybody to go to draft breakdown and check out his Iowa tape. It's probably the most relevant competition you're going to see from him simply because they just didn't play a lot of big name schools. But Iowa at least had a respectable Big Ten defense. They completely keyed in on him. One play in particular will tell you everything you need to know, and you can actually watch the footage in the article at DFW today as well. And it's at the 222 mark of his Iowa game, and he runs a little, um, oh, gosh, I forget the name of the route. Uh, It's a little hook. And he comes out of the backfield, and you get to see his shake and bake, his lateral movement. He was one of the top, I think he was in the top, 90th percentile in three-cone drill. So this guy's lateral ability is absolutely elite as well. And he does a little shake and bake on a safety and a linebacker that just leave him in the dust. He cuts down the seam, and the quarterback hits him in stride. He just plucks the ball out of the air, completely seamless, turns up field. He's He would be arguably one of the top 15 wide receivers in this class. I mean, that's how gifted this guy is. So if he can just learn how to use his power, maybe get some conditioning coaches behind him. I mean, he's a good running back. He's got the the size to hold up, but he's such a weapon as a receiving option. I just don't see how a team doesn't fall in love with this guy. He's going to be the guy that goes in the second round that everyone's like, who the hell is David Johnson? And us at DFW are going to go, we know exactly who David Johnson is. (laughs) And uh, the only thing that sucks about it is that we don't get to keep the secret for ourselves. So the name to know in running backs is David Johnson. And, uh, you know, I want to make sure that uh, he gets his proper due because if he's fallen to the back end of even the first round of your rookie drafts, I would be half tempted to take him over some guys like uh, Mike Davis or, you know, even Tevin Coleman or, things like uh, guys like that, who I, Amir Abdullah, who I have more reservations on in terms of how they'll actually be utilized and how their skill sets will transfer to the next level, even though I like those guys too. So, yeah. Well, and And, you brought up the the small – sorry, go ahead. No, that's it. Go for it. You brought up the small school aspect of David Johnson, and – from being from the area where his his conference is, the Missouri Valley – you know, that's probably one of the top conferences in FCS competition. He he personally beat North – they didn't personally beat him themselves, but this team stopped a huge winning streak against North Dakota State, who went on to win their third straight national FCS title. And he, they beat him 23-3 to in Northern Iowa, and he had 152 yards against the top team in that and that, you know, division level of college football. So, I mean, he certainly has the athleticism, and they were able to lean on him to, to, to able to, you know, lean on him to make, make sure that they were able to seal this victory. And, they, you know, their defense obviously stepped up too, but he was the one that took the ball and controlled the clock against, you know, basically the top team that he could play in his own, in his own conference. And that, and that should not be lost there that he was able to do that. You could watch – the game film of that there on YouTube too. If you just type in David Johnson versus North Dakota State, he certainly was a player that they they leaned on. There's a couple other athletes on this North Dakota, excuse me, Northern Iowa team that uh, have had nice potential as well. But yeah, I really like David Johnson. Now 
you talk about the receiver aspect and him being converted, Dan. Do you think? Do you think there may be a chance that a team sees sees him as a wide receiver? I don't think so. Um, I think that a good offensive coordinator is going to draft him as a running back and try to develop that part of the game all while utilizing him as an absolute mismatch weapon um, from that position as a receiver, very much like, you know, Matt Forte. I mean, Matt Forte is a good runner, no question about it, and there's so much similarity to their running styles and their shake and bake and their thinner build at the bottom of their leg, but yet they still have a decent amount of power when they want it. Um, You know, Matt Forte is a pretty big back. I believe he's actually an inch taller than Johnson. Um, But, I mean, his receiving stats in college are just fantastic. And, I mean, I'm not a big college stat guy when I I scout players. But, you know, his four years at at Northern Iowa, I mean, the guy put up 33, 32, 38, and 38 receptions in his four, you know, actual starting years. And in college running back terms, that's a lot of receptions. You don't see that many receptions. And his, you know, just tearing up yardage as well. I mean, since when do you see 13, 14, 15-yard averages, you know, on those receptions for a running back position? This is a guy who actually knows how to run routes. He's a guy who you can actually attack downfield with. Now, you tell me what running back or what linebacker and what safety is going to be able to cover this guy coming out of the backfield with a little shake and bake and then down, you know, down the field on a double move and he can catch the ball like a wide receiver. This isn't one you have to hold your breath and hope that, you know, the running back actually pulls it down 40 yards downfield. This is a guy that you're going to expect to pull it in. So, you know, he may he I don't see any reason why he can't be lined up at wide receiver. I see no reason why a creative offensive coordinator wouldn't work that into the game plan, especially if it's in the best interest of the offense. But I mean, there's just so much you can do with this guy. I I think whoever drafts him is gonna be a lucky team. So if you're in a PPR league, this is a guy you need to own in the second, third round. Don't be afraid to reach on him. Okay. Imagine, imagine what Peyton Manning could do with him. You know, he loves he loves oh audibly and yeah. the line. And Johnson knows. I'm sure Johnson will be, know the offense well enough and know how to run a route. If he can yeah. audible out of the backfield and move into the slots, you're going to see some safeties maybe drop their shoulders and walk up to the line to try to cover him. Uh, catch a lot of people by surprise. I, um, Nick, any questions there on David Johnson? I know you already like him. Uh, yeah, you know, he's such a good receiver. Are you concerned at all that he could end up being like Shane Vereen, a uh, passing downs only type of usage? Um, I mean, I think that that might be his easiest way on the field uh, initially. It'll be up to him whether he can develop as a running back. I mean, he's definitely got the power and the ability when he wants it. My main concern is he just doesn't know how to use his power yet, and you can kind of see that. There's glimpses of it. And so you can tell he has it, but that's where I think as that converted wide receiver, I'm not sure he had the right, you know, conditioning or maybe a little more NFL running back conditioning can get him a little more of that leg drive where he can utilize it a little more regularly. Um, I, it would, it would be one of the first instances where a six one, two hundred and thirty pound running back was used primarily as a receiving back that I can remember. Um, but 
I would be fine with it with his skill set, to be honest with you, um, uh, because he would also, you know, be in line for goal line work. So he'd be that exception to the third down rule, you know, um, where he could receive, but then you could also bring him in as your big back for some scoring opportunities too. So, you know, I'm not too concerned about that. He does have a little work to do there, but he has so much athletic ability that he definitely is athletically gifted enough to excel as an every down running back in the NFL. He just needs a little more work there. Okay. Um, Potential, (laughs) excuse me, I think another potential landing spot, you know, since you went there, and I think it's a great comparison, Matt Forte, uh, what if you went to Chicago? Obviously, I mean, I know they just drafted Kadeem Carey, but we didn't see a whole lot from him last year. And if he was able to, you know, get some of that uh, that Forte knowledge, I don't want to. I don't want him to go there and be tarnished by Jay Cutler by any means. But I think if he was able to learn from <laughs> Forte and what uh, you know what made him successful too, you know, I don't think there was a lot of buzz around Forte coming out of Tulane. But that might not be a bad option there. I tell you what, I mean, I, I personally wouldn't like to see him in Chicago. Um, I'm obviously we're talking NFC North today and I'm a hardcore die, you know, Vikings fan. I would love to see him in Minnesota, especially if Adrian Peterson isn't back and God knows how that situation's going to play out. There was a pretty <laughs> funny article on, uh, oh God, I forget what it was. Um, I forget what the name is. Uh, but anyway, it was basically AP as an F and moron was the name of the title. And it just was a Vikings, you know, Vikings fan ranting about how, you know, ridiculous this guy is and how he's, you know, basically made himself into a victim. And I don't know how this situation is going to play out. You know, I mean, he clearly doesn't want to be back in Minnesota. There's a good chance he'll trade him on draft day for something. And I just think with North Turner – I think David Johnson is like, he'd be salivating over this guy and figuring out how he could use him in that offense. And, you know, with a, you know, with a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, having a guy who you can rely on your most dump off passes that is not only going to know his assignments, but can pluck that ball out of the air and you can trust him with it. I think he would be a great fit there. I think he'll be a great fit, where, honestly, wherever he goes, because whoever drafts him is going to, you know, they're drafting him because they know. They know what this guy's capable of, especially from a receiving standpoint. So. Okay. Well, I'm sure we'll have another exciting uh, thing yeah. to uh, bring up to the table next week. Um, so. Uh, yeah, we'll do a wide receiver yeah. next week. I don't know who yet, but. <laughs> okay. Let's not tell us next week and see how that nope. goes. All right, don't Sounds don't good. tell us. You you just come with you come with the name and we'll we'll try to be ready. All right, next week I will have a wide receiver that you all need to know about. So listen. In. Okay. Well, all right. Cool. Thank you, Dan, and uh, Thanks, look forward guys. to talking to you next. Week. All right. Okay, uh, moving forward, let's get to uh, the Green Bay Packers, Nick. Uh, first question, here's another guy I wanted to bring up in ADP Rises that I thought about, and that's Devontae Adams. What, what is Devontae Adams' ceiling for this season? I feel like he is going way too high. I mean, I know Jordy Nelson's not 22 or something like that. 
I feel like he's going way too high in mocks. What, what do you think is his ceiling right now for this season at least? Well, you look at his stat line last year as a rookie. He had 38 catches for almost 450 yards and three touchdowns. I think if Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb both stay healthy for all 16 games, uh, last year they had 1,500 yards, 1,300 yards respectively. I think if they stay healthy, Adams is probably capped around 800 yards and seven to eight scores. And But it wouldn't surprise me if one, one of the two starters got hurt there. You know, Jordy Nelson hasn't missed a game since 2012, but he's going to be 30, and it always seems like he's playing through injuries. While the underside Cobb only played six six games in uh, 2013. So if either of those guys were to go down for an extended period, I think Adams' value would definitely skyrocket. If one of them were to, say, get hurt in preseason and be out for the year, I think Adams would likely hit 1,100, 1,200 yards and double-digit scores. Okay. Well, and let's, you know, let's not forget who his quarterback is, and that's going to make anybody more valuable. That's why Dante Moncrief is still valuable, and seems to be going high even after the acquisition of Andre Johnson. Um, that's why Jeff Janis is even going in mock drafts because he's essentially the fourth wide receiver there right now because of Aaron Rodgers and what what he can do with the ball. And obviously, you're right. If one of those one of those two guys go down, he's going to step in. And you know they don't use the fullback a lot either. So the potential of uh, of all three of those guys being on the field at the same time with just Lacey in the backfield is, is obviously going to be. Uh, going to be big to them for them as well. Um, a lot of people are high in this Richard Rogers guy too. It could be Stude is another guy who I think is way be going way too high in drafts. Maybe just not way too high, but just, I don't even get why he's going actually in some aspects. Um, I know he's young and it's a dynasty startup type of thing, but I, Andrew Corliss can play. And I don't think that necessarily means Andrew Corliss is going to be a tight end one for any fantasy team or should be. But I think because he can play, that's going to keep Richard Rodgers' value down. Any thoughts there, Nick? Yeah, you know, I think both of them can play, but I'm really not buying either of them as must-own guys. You know, they both played all 16 games last year. Uh, Corliss had uh, 29 catches, 323 yards, and three scores. Rodgers, 20 catches, 225 yards, and two scores. Uh, My guess would be that Rodgers is going higher because, one, he's younger. Two, uh, Green Bay did use a higher draft pick on him, a third as compared to a fifth. And then uh, three, he's also under contract through 2017, whereas uh, Corliss's contract is up after this season. But really, tight ends just haven't been super productive in Aaron Rodgers' time. Even Jermichael Finley, who in his prime was, I think, much more talented than uh, either of these two, Finley never had an 800-yard season, never had double-digit touchdowns. So, you know, it's a great offense. It's just not great for tight ends, really, in fantasy terms, in my opinion. Well, and like I said, with them, them using those three receiver sets, it's nice to keep that tight end at least, uh, you know, close to the line and, you know, release from a, um, a block if the quarterback needs help. But obviously, Rodgers is an exceptional athlete who kind of creates his own his own space there as well. Um, Sam Barrington made 14 tackles for this team in the playoffs last year, just two games. Uh, but is he ready to replace uh, the all-time leading tackler in Packers history, A.J. Hawk. Well, you know, last year's A.J. Hawk was far from A.J. Hawk in his prime. Uh, he, he still had four, 54 solo tackles, though. Uh, Barrington, he really didn't grade out that well versus the run. I think he's a nice sleeper IDP guy, but I wouldn't count on him to start just yet for my team, especially before the draft, because it's definitely possible that the Packers could add a, another linebacker to come in there and compete in the first three rounds. Oh, yes, our, our IDP whisperer, Sean Kirby, 
gave us a little insight too about how he's not he struggles against the run, but uh, he is young and he has the support of the franchise, so he could he could prove us wrong. He was a seventh round pick, and you know, Packers get so much value out of the draft every year, and so you know they're obviously going to get what they can out of Barrington. But like Nick said, you know, in the draft, if they go that they go that route, that could certainly be a be a not necessarily a very good thing for his IDP value. Uh, any other thoughts on the the the, the draft and free agency period for this Packers team, Nick? Uh, well, you know, they've lost quite a few guys. Uh, the cornerbacks, Tremont Williams and Devin House, uh, linebackers, A.J. Hawk and Brad Jones, and also uh, B.J. Raji, Latroy Guion, and uh, the fullback and fan favorite slash fantasy vulture, John Kuhn. Those last three guys are all unsigned as of right now. And in true Packers form, they've signed absolutely nobody yet. Uh, as far as going into the draft, they've got the 30th overall pick. So I think it's going to be best available among probably cornerback, defensive line, linebacker, maybe an offensive lineman. Uh, possibly, you know, what if tight end Max Williams were to fall that far? I think that might be something they'd consider. Uh, yeah. No, I don't think, as we talked about earlier, I don't think that necessarily helped his, uh, his value. Might not see a lot of happy dynasty owners if that was to happen there. But uh, maybe he could be be the change. Um, yes, they certainly need help uh, on the cornerback. And they with the, they did lose B.J. Rush. Is that correct, Nick? Uh, he's unsigned as of right now. Unsigned. So they need, you know, they might need to address that too. And there's a lot of a lot of defensive tackles in this in this draft, and uh, you know Green Bay because they are so good at the draft. They can certainly find find a later guy um, as well. Um, I think uh, Xavier Williams is the other Northern Iowa athlete we were talking about. David Johnson, but Xavier Williams is the other Northern Iowa athlete. Um, it's either that or Cooper. I think Cooper is the Washington State guy. But there's too many Xaviers that play. Uh, play defensive line in this draft, but I'm pretty sure it's Xavier Williams there for Northern Iowa. He's a guy that I can look at. Uh, uh, Chucky Hunter is another guy that's going, you know, potentially way late in the draft that they could grab and certainly fill in that for that defensive tackle position. So um, and there's also some, you know, some bigger guys too, that can maybe just be the, be the run stoppers too. Um, like our friend, Carlos Taylor, who was on last week, he'd be a, He'd be an interesting project for them, and I, you know they would get the best out of him if they were to take him, like in the sixth or seventh round. Um, moving forward here, Nick, uh, we have some dynasty trade analysis to do. So it's, um, these are all things that we see pop up in our in our forum, and some uh, obviously some trades from our uh, our uh, flagship web our flagship leagues the dfw 48 and dfw 36 um i knew one of the trades that i made was going to pop up on here so we'll talk about that one a little bit later but this is from dfw 48 somebody traded ty hilton jordy nelson a 2016 first round pick for 2016 and excuse me and a 2016 second round pick for antonio brown and Alshon Jeffrey, any thoughts there, Nick? Uh, I think it's a pretty even trade. You know, Antonio Brown is probably the safest receiver to own right now in dynasty formats uh, with all the targets he gets there in Pittsburgh. But, you know, all three of those, all four of the receivers involved in this trade are good quality players. So I would probably have to give the nod to the uh, the side that acquired the two draft picks in the trade. Uh, yeah, like you said, the majority getting up there in age, it's certainly, uh, they're not, you know, the guy that gave up 
Brown and J- uh, Jeffrey isn't necessarily losing much because he's getting some nice value back and some picks. Uh, pretty fair trade. Um, geez, I'd like to have two receivers of that caliber on my dynasty team. Uh, but uh, maybe this year, maybe I'll get to, I'll get to, I'll get lucky in the first round. But yeah, pretty pretty even trade though. And uh, geez, I, I love. I love the gusto of these people in these leagues just trading these big names. Uh, Randall Cobb on the move here again in DFW 48. Uh, so I'm give up Randall Cobb and Jimmy Graham and got back Jordan Matthews, Sammy Watkins, and a second-round pick, a 2.14 here in DFW 48. What are your thoughts there? Uh, I like the side that acquired the two young receivers. You know, Randall Cobb, he's had his injury problems in the past. He's still young, and when he's healthy, he's going to be really productive. Uh, but there's question marks around Jimmy Graham. You know, he's had problems staying healthy, and now how is he going to fit into that Seattle offense? So I definitely like the side that acquired Jordan Matthews and Sammy Watkins, plus an extra second-round pick. Uh, yeah, certainly somebody getting a little bit younger. I think, geez, I think Randall Cobb's only 24, 25. Um, but yeah, like you said, the Ch- Jimmy Graham's injuries the last couple of years, his value is down, especially going to Seattle. But uh, yeah, that's, I think that's a fairly a fairly good. It's a it's a good trade, but I'm going to lean towards your your feelings there too with Jordan Matthews, Sammy Watkins. Obviously, we talked about Watkins early and where he's going to be at in that offense. But you're getting some young, talented receivers, and I think I think eventually Rex Ryan will realize what he's got in Sammy Watkins and not want to run the ball sixty times. Okay, so this is a trade that I it caused a lot of commotion in DFW 36, and I, you know, I won't I won't want to preface that this trade took about seven eight days to happen. There was a lot of back and forth, and so where it may seem like I gave up a lot, um, I think I'm I think I got I think I got okay return here. I traded AJ Green for AJ. Excuse me, I traded AJ Green a fifth and sixth round pick this year. And I got Trey Mason, Artavius Bryant, and a second round pick this year. What are your thoughts there, Nick? Well, you're right. Giving up A.J. Green's tough, but I, I kind of like it, especially if you really needed a running back. You know, Trey Mason's a good young running back, uh, one of the top dynasty options there. Martavis um, Bryant, a young up-and-coming receiver, really show, showed what he could do with towards the end of last season and plus getting the second round pick. You know, I, I don't love the trade, but I, I do like it for you. Yeah. Well, here's my thoughts. And there was, we wrote about this here in the inside DFW 36 and 48. If you want to read that article posted by Patrick Anderson here a couple of days back, I think it was posted on Sunday. Uh, you know, AJ green over the last couple of years, I've owned him in my keeper league and uh, he's just, he's missed games. He hasn't been healthy. I, and I feel like, and it's not, you know, it's not weird, like, you know, hand injuries or whatever. It's been legs. And when receivers not, you know, AJ's not 22, 23 years old anymore. When receivers start to have issues with their legs, I feel like their their value is, is certainly going down, at least in my eyes. I, I know AJ Green is a quality player. I, I love him. He's one of my favorite players in the NFL. Uh, but like you said, I did need a running back. My other my other top running back in that league is Lamar Miller, and then it's like Terrence West. So I needed I needed a running back. To, you know, have two confident guys that I could feel confident in starting every single week. Um, competent, I mean, competent guys that I could start every week. But I could, competence that I could have competence is what I mean to say there. Um, and I, I was able to throw a couple of players back at some other people to regain those fifth and sixth round picks. So I, I you know, I think one thing you got to 
think about when you're trying to build your dynasty team, and I have to keep telling myself this as we make trades even before free agency periods, you just need to be patient. You're not going to fix your team in one year. You know, really pay attention to the draft. Yes, you can throw trades at people. You can offer up some of your picks if you want, but you really need to focus, you know, on the NFL draft and then look at, see who the prospects are you want to get. And you're not going to rebuild your team in one year. You need to, it's a process, just like any NFL franchise trying to be successful. It's, it's certainly a process. So you need to need to be patient. So I will preach patience from here on out um, and try not to make any, any more crazy moves. But anyway, uh, let's move on to the Chicago Bears. <laughs> Is Kadeem Carey really going to be – the man there when we when we lose Matt Forte. What 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 do you think there? What are your thoughts on Kadeem Carey being the heir apparent at running back there for Chicago? Well, last year I was surprised he didn't get more work. Uh, you know, Matt Forte over a thousand yards again, plus the eight hundred yards receiving, but he was actually under four yards per carry for the first time since two thousand nine, and he's going to be thirty years old. Had two hundred sixty six carries last year to only thirty six for uh, Kadeem Carey. Uh, no other running back got it. Uh, uh, got a run last year. Uh, Kadeem really didn't do anything too flashy. His longest run was 15 yards, longest catch was 18 yards, but he did average 4.4 yards per attempt, and he caught five of the six targets. Uh, I'm not on, as, as high on him as I was last year for two reasons. One, it's a completely new front office in place. You know, I don't know if he's going to fit into John Fox and Adam Gase's uh, schemes the way former head coach Mark Tressman envisioned carrying his offense. And secondly, you would think that if he had flashed ability in practice, they would have found ways to get him on the field. But that didn't happen. So that kind of raises some question marks in my eyes. Yeah, it's weird how these front office moves really affect these players' value. You know, look at you know, look at where the Buffalo Bills were when they drafted EJ Manuel. Yeah, I thought it was too high, but now they've essentially gone through, you know, two major changes since then. And that was, you know, just just three years ago. Um yeah, you bring up a good point about how they think they are going to use him. Obviously, Gay's coming from uh, from Denver. They they use multiple running backs there due to due to injury problems. But uh, yeah, we I mean we're not ready to write Kadeem Carey off yet. And obviously, you know, if you own Forte, he's not a he's not a bad guy to grab late in drafts. But don't uh, don't expect too much for him. But uh, maybe you know maybe maybe after a few years we could see something. But uh, uh, don't write him off just yet. So, uh, will Marquise Wilson get the nod at wide receiver two from Saitan? Nick, what do you think? Well, he is the number two right now. You got Eddie Royal uh, probably going to be playing in the slot. He is a former seventh round pick, six foot four, one eighty four. Uh, caught seventeen balls for one hundred forty yards and touchdown last year. But he did have a broken collarbone in training camp, so he missed the first ten games. I think his job all hinges on the draft. You know, the Bears pick number seven overall. If uh, Kevin White or Amari Cooper slips that far, I think they definitely take him. But I think the seven would be too high for any of the next tier wide receivers. So it all comes down to what happens on draft day for Wilson. Okay. Uh, yeah, they. I wouldn't be surprised if they grab a wide receiver. I don't think they'll do it early in the draft. But, uh, you know, second round, a guy like Sammy Coates is there. Or, you know, Chris Conley's getting a lot of buzz. Well, uh, I guess we'll see what happens there. But, uh, I. You know, I know Chicago really likes him, and I believe he had a pretty major injury that cost him most of the season last year. And 
played a little bit late there. I know he scored a touchdown or two, but uh, Chicago does like him. So, you know, don't be surprised if they wait till you know, around five or six to grab another wide receiver. So he, he is a, certainly a sleeper in the making there because we know Cutler can get the ball downfield. Um, but uh, I just don't trust Jay Cutler. And we're not going to talk about him, even though we're talking about the Chicago Bears. So I avoided that subject altogether. Sometimes these podcasts run a little long, and we could go on forever about that guy. But let's shift over to the defense. And just five starts, Nick. Christian Jones compiled 68 tackles for the Chicago Bears defense at inside linebacker. Are there bigger things ahead for Jones? Well, there definitely could be. Uh, right now, DFW has him ranked as the linebacker number 36. It's one slot ahead of his teammate, uh, John Bostic. And you you really got to like the improvement that he showed. You know, you mentioned he started five games, but it's three games with the highest tackle numbers were the final three games of the season, including a high of 11 solo tackles in Week 16 against Detroit. The guy is six foot four, 231 pounds, an undrafted uh, free agent out of Florida State, uh, and you look at the system that he's playing in now with Vic Fangio, they've definitely uh, produced some good uh, good linebackers there in San Francisco during uh, Fangio's time from an IDP perspective, so yeah, he's definitely got a lot of upside. Yes, our IDP whisper is on, is on board with you, you know, they had produced Willis, Borland, and, and uh, Navarro Bowman there in San Francisco. Um, he does like John Bostic a little bit more. Jones could potentially move to the outside, which could maybe, maybe hurt his value, but uh, I actually tried to pull off a trade for him in DFW 36. The guy was like, "Oh no way! This guy is a freak athlete, and I and I, and I think he's got got a bright future." Um, I, I I agree with him too, and that's kind of why I tried to buy low on him. But uh, I, I like him, and I think he certainly has a future. Just kind of a kind of a little guy. I think he's only two listed at 218, 220, something like that. So not a lot of weight there, but I certainly think that helps them in the same realm as where I like a guy like Shaq Thompson in the draft this year. These kind of thinner linebackers can slip through the cracks of the of the offensive line pretty well. And uh, I, I think Chicago is going to need all hands on deck concerning the way their defense has looked the last couple of years. So don't be surprised if, if he makes 100 tackles this year. Uh, I know that's maybe a long shot there because of, of Bostic as well. And, and Ryan Monday certainly helps there too he's probably the the top idp option on this defense as as of now but uh make sure you make sure you keep christian jones in mind on your idp draft day uh any any draft thoughts there nick for this team i know they just signed a couple free agents and ray mcdonald we can go into that if you want but what what are your thoughts yeah, and, you know, they also signed uh, Antrell Roll at safety uh, and Pernell McPhee also along the defensive line. Uh, but they lost a bunch of guys like uh, Charles Tillman, Lance Briggs, Brandon Marshall, Stephen Paia. All those guys are gone now. So I think going into the draft, uh, they're picked at number seven. I think definitely if Cooper or White falls there, the two receivers, that's a no-brainer. They have to take one of those guys. Uh, if not, then that probably means one of the big pass rushers slips. So that would be my, my guess is that they would uh, go for somebody that can get after the quarterback and help that defense out. Do you think um, any of the – with the guys they already have on, you know, they have some old defensive line guys and they brought in McDonald as well. Um, are they going to be maybe looking towards those guys that are going to probably convert from defensive end to outside linebacker, or do you think they just want anybody to rush on the edge? Yeah, I think probably just the best uh, best-looking pass rusher they can find at, that, at, at number seven. Mm-hmm. 
Dante Fowler is a guy that people are all over right now, and I I don't see him lasting that long. Another guy I kind of see falling right now is uh, Randy Gregory. I think a lot of people see him going past Chicago, but I really like this kid. He, he's a little he's a little thin. He's gonna need he's gonna need some bulk, but he he is a guy that can really be disruptive and can really uh, can really give chase too once he gets past the past the line. So uh, I like him there for Chicago. I did really like them getting Landon Collins, but with the uh, addition of Anton Roll, I don't maybe see that happening. But Collins is also also a special player. But uh, we probably don't need to go into that. I've I've been that, been in that realm enough. But uh, yeah, uh, they a wide receiver if that slips, that'd be good. Uh, I think you know, like we talked about every week, everybody could use an offensive lineman, so they need to look at that in the draft as well. And uh, there's this cornerback class is not too bad. You know, a guy like Byron Jones in the second or third round might not be a, a bad addition with his, with his speed there, especially losing a, losing Tillman. Some, you know, they need to get younger there in some aspects. So I like that as well. Um, let's move forward to some questions from the forum, Nick. Um, these questions come from the dynasty warehouse.com forum. If you have questions and you want to just throw them out there, you can certainly, certainly do that. Like I said, we are, the guys at DFW are very active there, um, and uh, the, the members that are signed into are active. So they're always always there to give you give your give a helping hand and kind of help you help you along the way. We like to use our knowledge to help you guys out. So make sure you uh, make sure you sign in on the forums and uh, see what uh, see what we can do for you there. Um, okay, Mark Ingram versus C.J. Anderson. Faceoff time. He says, uh, "Is C.J. Anderson the guy?" How does or how much does Spiller hurt or help? Um, C.J. Anderson has a high ceiling, but Ingram could have a, a higher, safer floor. Which side do you want? Well, well, I agree with the statement that Anderson's got the higher ceiling, but Ingram's got the higher floor. Uh, I, I would prefer C.J. Anderson. I've just been burned too many times by New Orleans Saints running backs. It's kind of like the southern version of the Patriots there. You just never know what uh, Sean Payton's game plan is going to be week to week. And I, I think Spiller's uh, uh, presence definitely hurts Ingram's uh, uh, numbers moving forward. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there. Um Man, Deuce McAllister burned me some years ago really badly when he had to go and tear his ACL. But anyway, um, Spiller is definitely going to hurt there. You know, let's not forget Mark Ingram was not a running back one until at some point in time last season. It's not like he was their number one running back for the last three years there. It took him a lot of time to get where he is today. And uh, obviously Spiller is a nice fallback plan. You know, they, they like you said, they use a lot of people in that offense, you know, Peter Thomas. Travis candidate, Kerry Robinson. There's a lot of people there. Um, obviously, there's three three running backs in Denver too. So, but uh, I think Denver saw enough in C.J. Anderson, and I think he has the confidence in Peyton Manning, especially in the passing game, to to where he's going to be at least this year uh, potentially the better option. It's close, but I think I think Anderson has the better year, especially with the addition of Spiller there in New Orleans. Trey Mason or Randall Cobb. You may select one option, Trey Mason or Randall Cobb. Uh, who do you prefer in Dynasty? Obviously, it uh, comes down to a need issue here. No, but no matter, it says no matter who, no matter how your roster looks like, who do you prefer 
choosing your Randall Cobb or Trey Mason? Uh, I would probably go Randall Cobb just by a hair and only for the reason that receivers tend to be more dependable than running backs and last longer, but it's super close there. The key thing is that you said there is like his receivers last longer. You know, Cobb, Cobb is still very young, still very effective. Does have a does have a big knee injury on his resume though. Uh, Mason, on the other hand, you know, just kind of got his feet wet last year, and I think people, obviously, judging by his ADP and the mocks that we're doing, people are very very high on him, and a lot of people are expecting big things from him. Um, but you know, last couple of years. We were expecting big things from Daryl Richardson. We were expecting big things from Zach Stacy. And, you know, where are those guys now? Daryl Richardson is the third running back for the Jets right now. So, and I don't know what Stacy's future is like in uh, in uh, St. Louis there. So, no offense to our friend Dynasty Dan, who is still a big uh, uh, Zach Stacy supporter. But uh, I think uh, I think Mason certainly has a future, but you just don't know with that running back window. So you got to. If you're looking dynasty-wise, you really got to look for a guy that you think is going to get longevity. Randall Cobb is certainly proven, and he's got, you know, he could potentially have eight solid seasons of production left in him. So I don't think Mason could be that. I don't think Mason's the next Frank Gore. I think he's going to be a very good running back. I just don't see I don't see him as necessarily a Hall of Fame running back. Is he a serviceable fantasy running back the next two or three years? I definitely think so. I love the way he attacks. He attacks the line when he gets the ball, but uh, I'm certainly going to be in the in the Cobb camp there. So, uh, thoughts on Charles Johnson, Nick, and PPR? I honestly can't say I've watched him at all, but just made a trade for him in a PPR dynasty league. I gave up Brian Click, Roy Hallou, and I got Charles Johnson. Is it a solid trade? Does Mike Wallace kill his value or help his value? What do you think? Uh, I think it's an okay trade. Um, you know, I think the the quick and the quick and side got a higher floor, but Charles Johnson's got the higher ceiling there. Uh, I, I like the chemistry he showed uh, last year with Teddy Bridgewater. I think it's a decent trade. Um, yeah, you know, Charles Johnson is a guy that really fought for where he is right now in Minnesota. So I don't think you're going to see any, any weird, you know, like weird behavior out of him. I think he's very fortunate. He realizes that he's very fortunate to be in a position that he's in. And I think personally, I think Mike Wallace helps his value because now you have a respectable receiver other than, you know, Cordell Patterson or Jarius Wright. So I, I, they're building weapons around, around Bridgewater, which is nice. The bridge rider already has the camaraderie, a little bit of it, with Charles Johnson. So uh, I, I like the trade there. Uh, I don't really see much of a future for Brian Quick personally. And Halua, he is certainly a serviceable PPR player. He's he's a, he's a running back, and he's been in the league for five years. So if you're able to ditch somebody like that and get some value out of a, a receiver that you think can be around for the next five or six years, like I think Charles Johnson can be, I think he'd made a great trade there. Okay, each and every week we do a little something that we like to call Nick Rants. It's where I give my co-host to Florida kind of rant about something that's bothering him, maybe something that slipped through the cracks, kind of Lewis Black style, but uh, let's see what Nick's got for us today.
of the owners' meeting, meetings are currently underway, and I couldn't help but laugh at a couple statements made by the owners of the two New York teams, the Jets and Giants. I'll start with the New York Giants team president and co-owner, John Mara. Uh, full disclosure, I've disliked Mara ever since he spearheaded the campaign to punish Dallas and Washington for spending too much money in an uncapped year in 2010. It was collusion, of course, but the NFL uh, Players Association apparently waived the right to appeal in the new CBA. But anyway, back to his recent statement. Some parties would like to uh, see cameras fixed on the end zone and the sidelines to ensure better replay angles. But John Mara, who, remember, he owns one of the two teams in the largest market in America, he said the NFL can't afford to put those cameras in the stadiums. What? I've read there's already like 30 cameras at games, but a handful more to ensure that the calls are right. And what, the NFL's going to have to file bankruptcy? Jerry Jones can have that massive TV above the field, but a few extra cameras is too much to spend. Uh, come on. I mean, the price of everything from Sunday ticket to Jersey seems to rise every year. I bet if you took five cents of each of those price increases and put it towards cameras, you'd have stadiums and fields with more surveillance than the White House and Fort Knox combined. You know, I understand not wanting to fundamentally change replay by adding fe- uh, penalties and whatnot. I think they should, but I at least understand the argument against it. But adding more camera angles wouldn't change anything on the field except for more reviews being decided correctly and decisively. Uh, Now, real quick, the New York Jets owner, Woody Johnson, said that Geno Smith is probably way ahead of Marcus Mariota at this point. Okay, maybe maybe today, but not come September. <laughs> Geno Smith's 25 touchdowns, 34 interceptions. Neither season did he complete 60% of his passes and went 3-10 and as a starter last year. This totally smells like a smokescreen. I, I could see the Jets maybe trading back a couple picks and still getting Mariota, but I'd be really surprised if uh, Mariota were to go anywhere other than Tennessee, Philadelphia, or the Jets. Uh, yeah, uh, Mariota's better than Geno Smith. Don't uh, don't believe any of that. Like you said, definitely smokescreen. You know, and if they don't want to spend all that money on those cameras, I think they should just give me and you some disposable cameras, Nick, and let us sit on top of the goalpost during a game, <laughs> and we can and we can make those judgment calls for them. You know, just take whatever money you're going to spend on those cameras, cut it in half, pay me and Nick, give us a bunch of disposable cameras, and we'll and we'll do it for you. But yeah, I mean, what a what a ridiculous statement. The NFL is arguably one of the most powerful companies in the world we know they make a ton of money i mean what is what is the commissioner to make it's ridiculous so yeah don't don't give us that bs um moving forward what do we got for uh the green bay um i had the packers listed twice i don't want to talk about them anymore or Jay Cutler. Let's move on to the Minnesota Vikings. Now, we just talked about Charles Johnson with our questions from the forum. <laughs> Excuse me. But uh, what, what, are, what are some of our other thoughts here? You know, Mike Wallace makes big bucks. Could Charles, do you think Charles Johnson could potentially be better than Mike Wallace? I think, you know, I think they're maybe both kind of the same player. Um, I think Wallace is obviously, you know, he made his. He makes his bread being be that burner in the, in the steam. But what what do we think as far as where is Charles Johnson compared to Mike Wallace? 
Well, you look at Charles Johnson. Started out as a seventh round pick in 2013 by Green Bay. Bounced around a little bit. Uh, he's six foot two, 215 pounds. Actually, not invited to the combine, but I think the sky is the limit for Johnson. You know, like I said before, he and Teddy Bridgewater showed pretty good chemistry towards the end of last year. He's got the size and he's also got the speed. He ran a 4:39.40 at his pro day. I think he could end up being what Minnesota thought they were getting in Cordell Patterson. Uh, Mike Wallace, he's a solid number two receiver, but I don't think he's anything more than that. He's only missed one game in his six-year career, but surprisingly he hasn't gone over 1,000 yards since 2011. So I think Mike Wallace is hes decent, but he's not as good as people thought he was going to be four or five years ago. Yeah, uh, like I said last week, I think people expected way too much out of Wallace when he went to Miami. He's a great compliment player. He's not a wide receiver one. Uh, will Charles Johnson develop into that? Only time will tell, but I do, I do feel like he's going to be definitely a better PPR option this year and, uh, in Minnesota. I think he's going to be, you know, I always go back to it. One of my favorite, one of my favorite PPR possession guys ever. And that's Derek Mason. I think he has that type of potential in him. Don't get me wrong. He's not, I mean, he's a wide receiver in the NFL. It's not like he's slow by any means, but uh, he's not Mike Wallace fast, but I think he can certainly be a better PPR ad than Wallace. But I think Wallace in Minnesota is a great is a great player too. It's gonna to be a fun team to watch this year. A fun young team and hopefully Wallace can show them some maturity and stability there, definitely. Uh moving forward, Nick, obviously there's a lot to be decided with Adrian Peterson. Um and maybe they'll draft another running back. But is it going to be the McKinnon Asiata duel again or or will one of them win this job outright? If we're just looking at it right now, where they're at, Adrian Peterson not being there, we don't say they don't draft a running back. Who's going to be the number one guy as you see it? Well, it's got to be Jarek McKinnon, right? He said he's fully recovered from the back injury he suffered towards the end of last year. He's only five foot nine, but he's 208 pounds, so he's not too skinny to carry the load. Uh, 113 carries for 538 yards. That's 4.8 yards per carry. Whereas you look at Matt Asiata, only three and a half yards per carry. So 1.3 yards per tote more. I definitely would have to side with McKinnon. Uh, the bad news for him is that even though he had 140 touches, he had zero touchdowns. Whereas Matt Asiata, nine uh, rushing touchdowns. Downs, one receiving touchdown. Uh, he's six foot, 234 pounds, so I think he'll likely to continue to see the goal line duties. So that's it definitely takes a chunk out of McKinnon's value, even if he does win the starting job. Now, Minnesota did bring Asiata back via free agency, so there's obviously some comfortableness there with him. But like you said, McKinnon is certainly the better athlete, small school guy. I think Minnesota got a little bit more out of them than they thought they would. Obviously, with the AP situation, they had to turn to him a little bit early. But he, you know, you know, like the David Johnson type of player that Dan talked about earlier, he he, he is a special player. And I think, you know, some of those small school guys don't necessarily get credit for their receiving stats, even though they put up decent receiving stats. I think he can be a nice, you know, multifaceted running back uh, for this Vikings team moving forward. And as a Jarek McKinnon dynasty owner, I hope that is certainly the case. Um, moving forward, uh, Robert Blanton and Harrison Smith are both tackling machines. But will the maturation of Anthony Barr hurt their IDP value? Nick, what do you think? 
Uh, well, I kind of agree with what our IDP expert said. You know, you look at Harrison Smith, he's our uh, DB number two. Uh, Blanton is the DB number 37. Both of them are going to be 26 this year. It wouldn't surprise me if Minnesota took the top safety in the draft, Landon Collins, if he's still there at 11. That would definitely seal uh, Robert Blanton's state there. But the safety class is not very good or very deep. So I think if they don't take Collins there, and I'm not sure if Collins is going to be around at 11. Normally safeties don't go top 10, but again, the, the position is so thin this year, I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Collins was gone by 11. So I think Blanton could be a sneaky buy low guy right now. You, you look at his tackle numbers; they were pretty similar to Smith. He just didn't have the interceptions. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you there. Um, and like you said, with uh, not to get too far off subject, but obviously some Vikings fans here at DFW would love to see Landon Collins go to Minnesota. But uh, yeah, Collins is not only the best safety in this class, he is just like maybe two tiers above every other safety in this class. He is just that good. There's some cornerbacks that might be converted to safety too, but Collins is just solid. He reminds me a lot of Marcus Gilchrist, uh, who signed with the Jets, amazing sign by them, but just a super efficient tackler. Doesn't, you know, doesn't put himself in any danger when he makes tackles, which is going to be so good. I mean, his, his IDP ceiling is, is so is so high, even though he doesn't even have a team yet. I'm so excited about that guy. Um, so, uh, but yeah, back to the question. I think Bart is going to get better. I think uh, he is a weak side linebacker, though. so he's. I don't think, you know, he's going to get better. And I and I know he understands the game as being a converted running back. He understands the offensive side of the game. But I I think Minnesota is still going to have kind of a, a rocky season. So you're going to see a lot of a lot of safety tackles with Smith and Blanton. If they if they don't get a safety in the draft, so I, you know, there's some other other offensive or excuse me, other some weapons, IDP weapons like Everson Griffith and uh, Chad Greenway, who, you know, we expect to maybe see more out of both of those guys next year. Maybe Griffith can get a little more. He was a leader, I think, with 12 sacks in the team, so maybe he can maybe he can do that again, or certainly uh, progress further into that. So. Um, last, last Vikings tr- draft needs and free agency. Nick, what are your thoughts there on that period so far for these this Vikings team? Well, they've lost a number of guys. Uh, Greg Jennings, uh, the quarterback sister Christian Ponder, uh, a couple guards Charles Johnson and Vladimir Jukasi. Uh, Matt Castle's gone, Jasper Brinkley's gone, and they've added Mike Wallace, uh, the running back, Dewan Harris from Green Bay, safety Taylor Mays, linebacker Casey Matthews, and the backup quarterback, Sean Hill. So going into the draft, I think if uh, they don't have any faith in Cordell Patterson, which it appears they don't, I wouldn't be surprised if they took a receiver there, pick number 11. Uh, if not, then maybe an offensive lineman, possibly a linebacker to push uh, Greenway or a safety to push Blanton. Uh, but you know what, at 11, how about Teddy Bridgewater's teammate at Louisville, the wide receiver? or Devontae Parker. It'd be nice to see those guys reunite at the pro level. Yeah, and I love Devontae Parker. I, I, I really do. I mean, there's a lot of buzz around Kevin White and Amari Cooper, but Parker is just big, physical. Um, yeah, he's he's going to be a special player, I think. Um, I just don't think Minnesota should go that receiver route. I, I like the, re, the reunion theory there. Uh, reuniting theory. Reunion theory, I should say. But uh, I feel like, you know, I, I, there is some weirdness with them with this there and Patterson, but I don't feel like they're ready to give up on him. There was some room, trade rumors off this offseason. They also have uh, Jarius Wright, who I think is a quality player, a guy that can play the slot and, and certainly contribute if they can keep Rudolph healthy. They have a lot of, you know, they have weapons there for Bridgewater. So, uh, you know, 
first and foremost, maybe they need to add another piece on that offensive line. Um, they could certainly use uh, somebody on the defensive line too. So we'll see. We'll see what they do there. Uh, I just don't see the whole receiver thing. Um, you know, another name that I'd like to throw out, and maybe seem too early, is uh, you know that pick eleven. If they really want to go for it and go uh, with Gurley or Gordon to really, you know, because obviously something's going to happen with Adrian Peterson. If not, you know, day day one of the draft, sometime during the draft, I think I think that, you know, the writing's on the wall that they could be looking for the running back of the future because maybe they don't see it in Jarek McKinnon. Uh, so uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them go that route. I think a lot of people love Gurley. I personally think Gordon's going to be a little bit better. But that's certainly where we're looking at. So, uh, moving on, the very last thing, and I maybe said everything I needed to say here about this when we talked to Dante, but did you watch the veteran combine, Nick? Uh, No, I did not. I saw, what, two players that attended it uh, ended up getting signed? Uh, Yeah, I know um, Slaughter, a a wide receiver out of like Western. Texas A&M signed with the Cardinals after that. I'm not sure who else got signed, but it just really was not. I mean, I, compared to actual NFL combine, it was kind of pathetic. I, like I said with Dante, I don't know why they have these, you know, 28-year-old guys there. No no offense to them and, and where they're at. You know, like Felix Jones is there. Michael Bush was there. Was was super pissed about his 40 time. And I know it is called the veteran combine. And these guys have some miles on them. But I, like I said with with Dante earlier, why aren't they bringing guys like him in? He signed a free agent deal immediately after the draft. Not immediately, but whatever. After the draft with Atlanta. Atlanta, besides teams that scouted him to potentially take him as a late-round pick, Atlanta's really the only guy that's seen this guy up close. They've seen him in practice every day. They've seen him, you know, they, they know what he's capable of. And obviously the decision was made for him to be let go. But, you know, nobody else has really given him had that opportunity or given him that opportunity to see him up close. These are the, these are the young, excited, hungry guys that I want to see in that kind of combine. It's almost like, you know, a do over. If you didn't make it to the combine, you know, during your rookie year, maybe you make it to this. I love the idea behind it. I just think they got it way wrong. I don't think anybody's rushing to sign Brady Quinn. Felix Jones had his day in the sun. He's obviously there for a reason. Lost a step. It's not going to come back. These younger guys, this is why they should have that combine. These guys that slipped through the cracks year one, didn't get drafted, made it, you know, got cut in preseason, give these guys another chance. That's what, that's what I would like to see that combine eventually become. I think it's a great idea. I just think they went about it a little, a little, a little off. So we'll see, we'll see how it progresses and if they choose to do it in the future. Um, Excuse me, I didn't mean to cough on the line there. But anyway, that is all we have for you today. Like I said, next week we have the AFC North under the microscope and Randall, excuse me, Robert D. Cobb from Inscriber Magazine will be coming along to talk about the Cleveland Browns. And uh, Mike Krafik, I think I said his name right, Krafik, he'll, he'll correct me. Uh, he's, gonna come, he's from DFW. He's going to talk about his Pittsburgh Steelers next week. So make sure you check that out. Nick, any closing thoughts there? I uh, just saw that your Raiders are uh, going to have an open competition for the starting running back job, so we'll see how that goes. It's going to be Latavius Murray. Don't worry, if the <laughs> owner is going to be Latavius Murray. If not, I might 
not be very nice on this podcast in the coming months. But anyway, that's all we have for you today. Talk to you next week. I want to thank Sonya Greenfield and Dante Rupp and, of course, Dynasty Dan for stopping by and uh, looking forward to doing that every week. Um, Sonia and Dante's uh, Twitter feeds will both be uh, linked in our podcast right up, which will be up tomorrow morning. Go check them out on Twitter. Uh, both both great follows. Um, and obviously, thanks, Sonia, so much for being our judge during the, uh, the uh, Dynasty Dilemma. Take care, Nick, and talk to you next week. Clock at five. Pass in. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Unreal. Oh, no.